You're listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. It seems like almost every day we turn on the news and we hear another devastating story about a molested child or an adult who's charged with committing sexual acts on a minor. What do we know about the spectrum of this disease as physicians? And what do we know about the people we label as pedophiles? Has this spectrum changed or has this knowledge helped us in any way? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Ryan Hall. Dr. Hall is a senior resident from the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at John Hopkins University and the current Rappaport Fellow from the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law. His father is Dr. Richard Hall, who is a courtesy clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Florida. Together, they've just published a paper in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings entitled, A Profile of Pedophilia. So we are discussing pedophilia, the types and classifications, so we might better understand the pathology behind it. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, Dr. Hall. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk about this important topic. Now, first of all, what is pedophilia? Can it really be defined? Well, we've got the DSM, which is uh, kind of the diagnostic category guide manual for psychiatry, uh, and it's put together by committee, so it's not necessarily unchangeable. Uh, but there is a, an exact definition for pedophilia, and where a lot of people get confused is what is pedophilia versus what is just child molestation. And kind of the simple answer for that is pedophilia is a condition which lasts for at least up to six months where the individual has urges, uh, fantasies, or is aroused by uh, thoughts of having sexual relationships with a prepubescent child. Uh, there has to be a difference in age between the person having these thoughts and of uh, the person that they're carried out on. And this kind of stops people who are, you know, two eight-year-olds playing doctor from getting the diagnosis of uh, pedophile. Um, and again, as I said earlier, molestation is more of a legal term. It's more of an act, whereas pedophilia is really the condition uh, that goes along with it. And it's in the DSM under the category of paraphilias, which includes other sexual uh, practices such as uh, voyeurism or exhibitionism. What is the prevalence of pedophilia, and how is this calculated? The prevalence is very hard to estimate because uh, few people voluntarily seek treatment for this condition. When we look at the rates of pedophilia, a lot of the times we're basing it off of uh, criminal or legal charges. People are being brought in front of the court and following them after the fact. And it's estimated that about one out of 20 cases actually gets reported. Uh, so there's a large net out there that we're probably missing. And we're also missing the individuals who may have these fantasies but don't act on them. Um, and it's Different literature reports different rates, but about 15 to 30 percent of females under the age of 17 have reported some sort of unwanted sexual contact. Uh, and a lot of these times it will occur by another individual who's within their peer age. And about 7 to 15 percent of males under 17 have reported uh, unwanted sexual uh, contact. Uh, now, what's maybe more of an indicator of the frequency of males and females who are victims of pedophile is the rates found in a study out of Canada by uh, Bagley, which showed that 21% of females and 44% of males reported having repetitive assaults occur to them. Uh, so this is unlikely to be kind of the one-time date rape situation, but more likely where a person has been preyed upon. Uh, and what's really startling out of the, the Bagley study, where they had 750 males, which they uh, contacted uh, anonymously through the phone book was that 1% of those uh, 750 males reported by the age 27 that they had already offended against a child themselves. Uh, so it's, it's really hard to tell the prevalence rate, but it's 
probably a lot more common than people realize. And, you know, these numbers are shocking to all of us. And and also what's shocking is I read that pedophiles tend to try to justify their actions. How can they do that? What do they say? Well, a lot of times uh, pedophiles will use about four or five different techniques or patterns that you see with them. Uh, one of the primary ones is denial or rationalization. And they'll say things like, you know, is it wrong for a person to love a child? You know, a parent loves their child. What's wrong with me showing an affection towards somebody else's child? Uh, or they'll try and rationalize that, well, the child wanted the attention or wanted the contact. They came on to me, so it's not me being a bad individual, but it was the child's fault in some extent. There's also kind of minimization. You know, I only was looking at the child naked. I didn't touch them, therefore it's not as bad of a thing. Or it only happened once. Uh, And sometimes you'll find just blatant justification. You know, I'm a boy lover with honorable intentions. And there's actually an organization out there called NAMBLA, uh, North American Man-Boy Love Association, which is trying to promote the notion that pedophilia is just a normal stage of sexuality as being a heterosexual or a homosexual. Uh, and they're lobbying for the laws to be changed to make it consensual. There's also kind of fabrication. Sometimes when people are caught, they'll claim that their activities were, you know, doing a research project or trying to comfort a friend's child, but it doesn't seem to hold true. Uh, And then a lot of times you'll get into a very physical, aggressive pattern where they'll either physically try to attack or through character assassination attack the child or the people accusing them. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Ryan Hall, and we're discussing the spectrum of pedophilia. What can you tell us about the personality of these pedophiles? Well, what I'm going to discuss here is kind of very general concepts. I mean, again, each individual is unique. But when you look at the literature, what you see is that as a whole, this uh, category of people are very isolative, lonely, suffer from low self-esteem, and are often uh, emotionally immature. A lot of them will have uh, comorbid psychiatric problems. And that's not to say that they offended against a child because they're depressed, but they're have interest in children and also have depression. And you can see about 60 to 80% of them with affective disorders, 50 to 60% with anxiety disorders, and 70 to 80% will have a personality disorder. Uh, The most commonly diagnosed is avoidant. And something which I should have mentioned earlier when we were defining pedophilia is these acts or these fantasies have to occur at baseline. Uh, So these are not events that occur when somebody's manic uh, or when somebody's intoxicated, but occur, you know, when they're normally in their state. Uh, That's not to say that pedophiles can't have substance abuse issues or don't use alcohol to gain courage to engage in their fantasies, but they have the fantasies even when they're not intoxicated. And about 50% will have some sort of substance abuse issue as well. You know, there's been several cases on the news lately, but are there really female pedophiles, and what can you tell us about them? You know, for the longest time, uh, the notion of a female sexual offender was thought to be a myth. Uh, You know, women just didn't do those sort of things. And in the rare instances where one was documented, they were felt to be either psychotic or under the influence of a male uh, or some other reason for it uh, to happen. But there's been a lot of uh, research now coming out of Texas from, and I may mispronounce the name, but by uh, Dr. Vandeveer, who's uh, looking at female offenders, and she's kind of beginning to form categories for them. There's a notion that you can have women who are just experimenters, and they're usually kind of younger females, the babysitter type, uh, who are just curious. Uh, You've got kind of the male coerced individuals 
uh, where you have a dominant male figure and usually a submissive female and they uh, molest children. Usually it's the woman's own children that are the, the subject of the molestation. Uh, you can run into people who are natural or nurturer caregivers. And I think this type of abuse is underreported a lot. You know, this is the person who comes over and helps bathe the kids and in the process of doing that may fondle or molest them. But it's in such a situation that it's hard to definitively say something bad happened. And then you've got kind of what they're calling the teacher-lover syndrome now, where you've got older women with kind of adolescent uh, males. And what's interesting is, is, you know, you look at movies like The Summer of 1943, where it was a coming-of-age story of a 15-year-old who had a romantic relationship with an older woman. And it's good for him. It's seen as a rite of passage, and it's not seen as abuse. Whereas you hear about the book Lolita, where you've got an older man with a 13-year-old female, and people feel a little creeped out about it. So there's a little bit of a double standard that may also lead to not having these things reported. You know, in your article, you talked about some of the differences between pedophilia and hebophilia. Can you explain that to us? Well, hebophilia is a term that's kind of beginning to uh, gain traction. And again, pedophilia is technically individuals who are interested in prepubescent children, whereas hebophiles are people who are interested in kids about age 13 to 16 years old. Um, and Technically, hebophilia means interested in young girls, and ebophiles is interested in young males, uh, but hebophiles beginning to become kind of a generic term for the 16 to 13-year-old age group. Pedophiles usually view the relationship as very idealized. You know, it's fantasized, ritualized, it's they're protecting the child, it's the child is on a pedestal in their mind type of thing, whereas hebophiles are much more interested in reciprocal relationships, more adult kind of based with a give and take to them. Hebophiles are also much more opportunistic, uh, so if they can see an opportunity, they will take it, whereas pedophiles are actually very planned. Uh, you know, 70 to 80 percent of them will try to engage in winning the child's trust, uh, befriending them with the intention that eventually they'll act. The act themselves may be impulsive, but the planning is very well, you know, organized. Hebophiles are generally thought to be better social functioning. You know, and there was recently an incident with a member of Congress who was allegedly accused of, you know, paging inappropriate things to congressional assistants that were underage. And, you know, it's hard to imagine somebody being that sophisticated, that well put together to get elected to that high of a public office having these issues. That's kind of what you see with the hebophiles is they're a little better put together, whereas the pedophiles usually are a little uh, poorer in their social functioning. Uh, and although this is a little controversial, there's some articles out there saying that the hebophiles might respond to treatment more uh, and be less likely to reoffend than the uh, pedophiles are. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about the categories of pedophiles? Well, I mean, there's uh, several different categorizations of pedophiles, and I think it's important for people to know them to understand the research they're reading. Uh, I think that these different categorizations make a difference in terms of rate of reoffense and other issues. Uh, and generally, in broad strokes, you've got the exclusive pedophiles, which they think make up about 7 to 10% of people who engage in these acts or have these fantasies. And then you have the non-exclusive pedophiles. And what people got to remember is roughly 50% of the people studied have been married at some point in time. Uh, so, you know, the mental image of the dirty old man in the trench coat doesn't always apply. And you can have people who are interested in heterosexual pedophiles. And mostly the research was done with males. So when we say that, we mean men interested in young girls. And the age range that they're interested in is usually about 8 to 10, 
whereas people who are homosexual pedophiles usually have an older age range of about 10 to 13 years of age. And they think that homosexual pedophiles make up about 90 to 40 percent of the individuals who meet the diagnostic criteria of pedophile. And I want to make it clear, this doesn't mean that homosexuals are more likely to be pedophiles, just that people who are pedophiles are more likely to have homosexual uh, tendencies in their partners. Uh, and then there's also bisexual pedophiles who, in the literature, tend to offend the most, have the most number of victims, and you know, go on for the longest period of time and are more likely to re-offend. Re uh, and then we talked a little bit earlier about the incest issue. And incest pedophiles usually have female victims. Uh, there are usually a fewer number of victims that they offend against. Uh, and they sometimes do much better with treatment uh, compared to the general category of pedophilia. I want to thank Dr. Ryan Hall, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing the full spectrum of pedophilia. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.